Hi there. Welcome to another episode of the Attitude Makeover podcast. This is your host Saujanya Shetty and today I'm very excited to have with me Geeta Manjunath. She is the founder of a wonderful deep tech AI company called Neuromai which is primarily into early cancer detection uh, for women, more specifically focused on breast cancer. So what got me hooked on to this conversation is to really go deeper into a researcher's mindset and look at the transformation from a researcher in the corporate world to an entrepreneur who's actually solving a major problem for all the women in the world itself. Um, how do you go through that journey? How do you take that plunge? What are some of the challenges? How do you evaluate this landscape? What kind of partnerships need to be dealt with? What kind of channels do you use? How do you balance the revenue to the cost? What kind of, you know, company and culture do you want to set up? How do you gradually strike off assumptions and validate them in your entrepreneurial journey? How do you deal with uh, fund, fundraising and, you know, penetrating or expanding into other regions, also getting into B2B and B2C models. How does one go about this? So I think the whole conversation delves deeper into the mindset shift primarily uh, from a researcher to an entrepreneur, uh, while also delving deeper into the understanding of breast cancer, what is the landscape like? How do you make it easy and simple for early detection? And what are some of the regulatory um, challenges that one faces in the healthcare space as you launch a new solution in the product um, as an entrepreneur? This and more is what we talk about in this beautiful conversation with Geeta Manjunath. This and more is what we cover in today's conversation with Geeta Manjunath the founder of Neeramai. I hope as always you like this and if you do, I hope you would uh, be kind enough to share, subscribe and like on the podcast channels or in YouTube. I'll see you again next week. Gita, a very good morning and thank you so much for being here on a festival day. I, uh, I'm not taking this for granted. Uh, so thank you so much. It's an honor and privilege to have you here. Oh, thank you, Sojanya. It's a privilege to be on your show as well. <laughs> so I, I think I've known you for what, like, like now, 17 years uh, I've, in the past. And you come from a research background. You're a solid researcher. I, I still remember... Um, we came with this brilliant idea in HP of, you know, we had that in, in, entrepreneurship competition and you asked, so who will buy this? Who's the audience? Because we were so in awe of what we were coming ah, yes. with and yes. you yes. had this clarity of technology, business, impact and the questions were very all-rounded and I, that changed the way I looked at innovation itself. So for me, I think that's how I go back back then with Ajay and you and all of them. So I want to start off with really getting to know a researcher's mindset. So Gita, you did your IAC, um, you know, PhD. PhD, and then you worked in research labs, both in HP and Xerox, then became an entrepreneur. So 
a researcher mindset transitioning to an entrepreneur has its other challenges as well because a research mind is more into going deeper and deeper whereas an entrepreneur is about how fast you can run as well so you managed to bring innovation with agility and the leanness together um and i think it's a beautiful marriage of research and entrepreneurship that came together so my first thing when we start is to really get to understand who is geeta what's your journey been and especially go deeper into the research of mindset sure i think uh, my inquisitiveness uh, which is uh, early early aspects of research you know started off you know even in my childhood i i would think right you know i recall i used to chat with my father and if uh, something breaks down you know he he was like uh, my hero right like all daughters and then he you know if let's say even the tap uh, you know is is leaking or something he never used to call plumber he wants to sort of fix, fix it himself like the engineer in the mind right and anything like that so so with that uh, he used to open up these things you know i was very inquisitive about how does this work how does the water flow how does it stop it's as simple as that to how does a radio work and tv work and that kind of thing so from the beginning i've been in this and then my parents have been very supportive of uh, you know trying to answer the question otherwise you know clearly say okay you go figure out at that time of course we didn't have the web to google for everything yeah. right so that's where it started and then uh, i think my real research uh, mindset started in indian institute of science after i my my uh, bachelor's uh, mm-hmm. where i happened to top the state uh, in uh, for all uh, for all branches of uh, engineering i got uh, got admitted to um, iisc my favorite place because i did my a small project there and i was so influenced and inspired by the uh, researchers the professors there um, even even in my b sort of they made us build a supercomputer board and i didn't know anything and we had to figure out so it's it's like uh, you know if i uh, take the analogy of uh, like a walking and a mountaineering right um so research is like mountaineering equal of thinking right uh so every time you really hit a road block and you just have to cut the weeds and figure out what is uh, the uh, the nicer path to go up which takes you uh, uh higher up than like you know side you know you can imagine this so and and there could be like you know multiple pathways you go a little bit no of course there's a huge boulder you can't climb so you come back and go so it's very similar to that thinking mindset right so uh so in iisc you know it it's pure research environment every project you do is something nobody else has done before so you can't google and find the answers you have to find it on your own uh, tech, uh textbooks uh, you know what's called open book tests right you know so you can take it home and then like no textbook you you have to think so the the ability to think the the uh, confidence that i can think and solve tough problems definitely came from university of science I used to have one of the toughest uh, supervisors for my masters also by and she cancer. So uh you know he's known to be the terror <laughs> in in research and so on and so forth. So all that happened mm-hmm. and uh, so so that is where it started and so when I graduated from masters I realized that uh I really enjoyed doing something that nobody else has done before. You know that's the yeah. fun yeah. just the just the sheer nature of solving it right? and uh, so i was very clear that i would like to go into of course we had many campus interviews and all but basically i my dream job was uh, uh, computer science research uh, at that time uh, cdac uh, was the only research institute uh, uh, 
uh, in India. I was also, uh, I am also a nationalist. And <laughs> I want to prove to others that India can do types. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, I just decided to stay back in India. And, and I had my first five to six years at uh, CDAC uh, being part of the uh, team which built the first supercomputer, uh, commercial supercomputer from mm-hmm. India. Uh, it was very, very challenging um, and very interesting uh, to learn new things and then solve and make it work. So I've always been that researcher mindset who wants to see something working on the ground. Of course, I've published a bit, but I'm not so fond of just sort of uh, writing papers and getting that 0.01% improvement. I like solving things. I, I don't mind publishing because I want to tell others this is working but not really about just having my list of papers happen. It's a very different type. So I went on to do the um, uh, supercomputer research, making it work and building that system and more like systems research, uh, one would call. And then uh, after about six and a half years, uh, Hewlett Packard was opening their research uh, group yeah. here and looks like uh, that was, um, um, you know, Chandra Venkatraman yeah. and uh, Subhu were there. Uh, they wanted to make uh, India grow up the value chain because at that time only defect fixing and so on was the main uh, project work that was coming in. And so they proposed and then uh, uh, incidentally they came to IAC and said, whom should we hire? And for some reason my professor said, go get Gita. So I said, oh, they came to me. Uh, Chandra called me and, and it was a very, very nice uh, start. Uh, I was given this sort of uh, small team to, to do research and prove to the HP Labs parallel to that, uh, you know, India can also do some good stuff. So it started off there and uh, it was uh, first time exposure to international researchers at that time. I really enjoyed, uh, you know, the first 10 years was really every year we used to go present our new ideas, new things that we have done to a large audience in, in California get their feedback and get their aha, uh, you know, feedback, which is uh, more further motivating. We used to come back. So that was, uh, and also that was a time you may remember, we used to have a lot of these tech cons going on. And and I used to tout, you know, I'm the only person from, uh, you know, uh, very few of them, less than five of us uh, had actually attended every tech con because to get into tech con, you had to have a research idea which uh, could turn into business and you should have a protocol, a prototype which works. So it was very, very interesting. So anyway, 10 years of that and after that I moved on to do something for India-focused research because uh, HP Labs, uh, uh, because as a part of HP Labs Palo Palo Alto first, uh, it was more like doing things for uh, the US and global market where I don't think I appreciated all the nitty-gritties of how the customers would use it and so on. So as that was a time when we were thinking like can we build something like a new business proposition business proposal and so i moved on to uh, hp labs uh, india where we started proposing this and the first question was like you know exactly as you said you know yes we have built it how does it work what is the innovation and uh, how does it help somebody right you know and how does it make the life of the user simpler? Simple. And who is going to take this to market? These are the questions, uh, you know, I, I, of course, in between, I I think it was in uh, Xerox, I did my um, uh, mini MBA as well from Kellogg Chicago. That made my clarity very, you know, mind, very, you know, clear about uh, what kind of questions we're asking. Of course, never, you never know the answers, but you need, like, you know, having the right type of questions. I think... At the end of the day, what happens is, you know, when we actually did a, a couple of projects uh, and pilots where real end users started using it, 
and you talk to the end users then you raise oh my god i was thinking this is what i should be doing but the, you know the customers or the actual end users you know change your uh, thought process completely yes. when i saw that happening i said okay so it really requires this you know working with the customer to finally define so it's been mostly learning on the job trying to ask the right questions and i think techon um, made a huge difference also writing it up and then trying to prove that there is business value uh, what is the unsolved problem from a business standpoint yeah. unsolved problem from an experience end user experience standpoint and how do i fit this idea into it many times it used to be hammer <laughs> and trying to look for a nail uh, especially when you come from hp labs and trying to look for business connects Uh, but uh, through that um, you know it uh, it was a good learning so i've always been this person who needs to see something work on the ground differently right uh, the last uh, turning point i hope it is the last turning point was the <laughs> entrepreneurship uh, so so after hp i joined um, xerox research uh, you know meanwhile I did my phd also in iisc um, and, and the phd also is very different again trying to make a system work where Uh, anyone can create uh, mobile apps uh, um, without programming and so on. So oh, also like end user no oriented, code. no code, uh, okay. you know, programming by browsing for the web and so things like that. You could create widgets for all mobile devices. You could have an SMS interface and all of that. So there was a lot of uh, very deep stuff which had to be solved because web pages were changing every time. Just record and re- uh, replay wouldn't work. So that's where I did my like the core theory that's required for a PhD. Uh, my ac otherwise they don't let me <laughs> go with the degree so it was a very interesting mix of science and uh, engineering and uh, real usage that we did so um anyway so when i joined xerox i joined as uh, head of their uh, um, analytics research ai research lab uh, it was a techno managerial role where my main role was to of course understand the research ideas that my team was proposing and then guiding them to make it more uh, business savvy connecting the dots talking to the business guys trying to feel and then many times uh, you know researchers are not able to express their idea in a way that others can understand uh, so uh, you know i used to spend hours together first of all understanding their stuff and then trying to say first don't do this way do this way you no know? um, mentoring them from a Uh, value standpoint, understand and you know, explaining to them what is the value, where you have to focus on the research on, and then connecting that value to any of the existing business problems. So that was uh, something uh, very interesting. Uh, during that time is when uh, I was working with a lot of customers, being it in be it in healthcare that is hospitals, uh, customer care like the call center managers. um education like uh, principals of the host, uh, you know education schools and colleges and um, and also smart cities you know going and meeting uh, the gm of uh, the, the mayor and so on and so forth right so those kinds of things um incidentally uh, one of my cousin sisters got detected with breast cancer and uh, she was very close to me she's just about a year older to me and uh, within a year uh, i lost her so that was extremely shocking because i had never seen breast cancer so closely close uh, to me and while i was mulling over this and discussing with my uh, friends and like you know why is this happening why did she detect late and so on i realized uh, that uh, you know there is an opportunity to do some research because so many ladies dying unnecessarily literally unnecessarily untimely because of late detection yeah. so i went back to um, the same um, uh, research you know we used to propose new projects and i proposed this 
why don't we start a project? I discussed with one of my colleagues in Palo Alto as well, uh, Dr. Leke Mesta, who was an imaging specialist. And he had initially tried a few images of thermal camera with thermal camera. And he said, I don't know whether something can be done with the AI here. And so we sat together, stared at a few images, said, yeah, I think we should be able to develop something. It just started as a, like, you know, I just want to work in this area because there is there's curiosity. So much curiosity and it, it needs some solution. But I didn't know where I was going. Um, uh, we did a small study on 70 people and we were able to identify where the cancer was, 70 cancer patients. We were able to identify them. I thought, okay, there's something in here we are able to develop. And uh, But I thought, like, why do we have to go and screen people or image people who are already known to be cancer uh, patients. So why don't we do it on a screening mode? So I tried to look for people, you know, some doctors who are using it. There was nobody, only one doctor I found who was using it along with ultrasound to have better uh, accuracy. And he was against any X-ray-based screening and that's why he was using this. Mm. So that started learning about it. But basically during this process, I realized I have to be on the ground much more. And I had like 25, 30 projects I had to manage. Uh, at Serendipity, you would have it, um, Xerox also was going through some transformation. It became two companies and so on. And that was a chance to actually sort of move between projects and uh, I was about to take up a much, I was given a much, much bigger role. Uh, then I thought through and said, uh, no, I want to spend the rest of my life on this problem because it's such a, such a huge problem. So it's really passion to solve that problem, which made me an entrepreneur. I didn't know what entrepreneurship was literally, but after I sort of jumped off, of course, of course it's very similar to the intrapreneurship we are all doing uh, in HP, except for um, the funding. Hmm. And, and another thing is much more freedom. Um, you know, I always think about uh, entrepreneurship because you're sitting on a, like a driver's seat and of course with co-drivers and co-pilots in some cases where like the road is like empty. You can yeah. just go at whatever speed you, you want to, right? Yeah. You want to, and you can. Mm -hmm. Of course, there will be bumps. You have to be careful and make sure. But you really can move very, very fast, right? So that I, I you know, um, realized. And also, because we were proposing a new um, new kind of an idea, we got uh, selected into multiple accelerator programs, uh, got mentored outside. So all this has been a huge learning experience. And uh, in the career, I won't say how many years, obviously 25 plus, you can put any number of pluses there. <laughs> uh, so um, I think this has been one of the most um, uh, very, very interesting uh, uh, projects that we are allowed to talk more about it. I think one thing that stood out as a researcher is, and I can relate with that, is dealing with ambiguity. To your point about um, trekking in a mountain versus walking or even driving as an entrepreneur it's that whole uh, thrill of dealing with ambiguity tell me what it means to you dealing with ambiguity yeah it's just uh, comfort in dealing with ambiguities right you know right basically so so dealing with ambiguity is more about comfort uh, with ambiguity and uh, not being um, alarmed and tensed when you see something you don't know right um, and having the confidence that we will get through it right so I think uh, one is uh, my I'm a little bit um, like uh, with a spiritual bent of mind so saying whatever happens is for good and uh, learn something every day and there's something that's going to happen good at the end of the tunnel. So this is the optimistic 
uh, every entrepreneur is optimistic, but this is, I think, one of the main yeah. uh, aspects. So you don't get tensed about something. Uh, you have to deal um, uh, with which is unknown, uh, which is sudden, which is unplanned. You know, I really love <laughs> unplanned journeys and things like that. You know, again, this trekking example, right? The mountaineering example. So, so one is one aspect is the confidence that you'll get through. Second is the confidence doesn't come just like that, right? Yeah. So it's like you think through the problem and say, okay, is there one naivest, dumbest way of solving that problem, right? And then I take on that problem. Such a dumb problem in the dumbest way that, uh, you know, you wouldn't go that path. But worst case, is there a way of crossing that, right? So that is usually um, the, the baseline to see whether I'm going to take up that challenge or not, right? And what is the bailout situation? <laughs> so if it doesn't work, you know, um, how do we sort of retract and then take another? Is there such a bailout situation or not? Bailout uh, pathway and situation also. And, and of course, third one is assessing the risk, right? You know, by doing this, you know, are you harming somebody? Are you, you know, what is the level of risk you're taking, you know, to yourself and somebody else also? Mm -hmm. I think these three things, right, uh, will give you confidence. Yes, we can go. And once you have a sort of a baseline, dumbest way of doing things, always it's about how do I improve over it. Mm -hmm. So there you like sort of look at the, uh, the, the dumbest solution and say, which is uh, uh, likely to be more uh, requiring optimal, you know, optimal solution, right? Mm -hmm. You know, something that can be more efficient. So you can look at this like piecemeal fashion. So look at the whole task, break it into micro tasks. Uh, in, among all of these, look at the hardest micro task. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we are able to just focus your next leg of research on the hardest micro, micro task, then uh, it will be you know, much simpler and, and it's much faster to reach the end solution. Something that you know there are better ways of uh, doing this and so on. So you could always postpone it because you won't. Uh, there's no point in solving all of that and yeah. you have not yet solved the core yeah. problem, right? So these are some of the sort of the basics, uh, you know, things that we have done as researchers quite a bit. And so same with uh, entrepreneurship also, right? You know, every day it is like research, not just in tech, research in business modeling, research in funding. How do I, you know, how do you positioning, you know, all of that, you know, how do you find the gap? Um, how do you explain the gap? Uh, all of this is sort of, you know, a different type of, uh, you know, uh, research thinking. Uh, so I think it's just being comfortable. Not everybody is, you know, some people are very good uh, planners and executors on it, right? I'm actually a very bad, bad uh, planning person, right? <laughs> uh, so I always get sort of, uh, you know, we, we fight with my husband. My husband is a proper planner. So, you know, we, we, it's good. Compliment <laughs> each other. Yeah, <laughs> we irritate each other and, uh, you know, compliment each other and move on. So in the same way, there are some people who are like process-oriented, plan and do. So I think for an entrepreneur or for a startup, right, you require all of these mix of people that I was thinking. So, um, of course, in the first uh, first uh, group, right, maybe five to ten people, I think you'll really need those hustlers and sort of go-getters. You can call it go-getters because you want to get there, figure out uh, the shortest and the best, uh, hopefully best, but shortest way of getting there. So all of these people. And when you start scaling, um, you know, you'll need more patient people who can plan because that is where the scale comes in, Correct. right? You know, you want to make sure it's a repeatable process. Consistent. It's not like one, once you got it working and, and that's about it. So so you need a mix of all of these people. Uh, for a startup, you need somebody who can roll up the sleeves 
uh, run fast as fast as uh, we can and also we'll need some kind of uh, master of all types you know because you have to do all kinds of jobs and all kinds of activities and uh, of course there will always be uh, what you what we used to call as a t thing right you know you will know a little bit of everything and there is one thing you're very proficient with i think it's good for every career same with the entrepreneurship also if you have multiple co-founders particularly individually you can take a look at one aspect fully otherwise of course otherwise you always uh, end up being so a jack of all too many, yeah, right? multiple things yeah. And if you're a single founder like me right now, um, you can also get, uh, you know, very passionate leaders, you know, who want to, you know, contribute to the society, uh, build a nice, strong leader, uh, leadership team uh, with uh, each of them having a skill that uh, that is possibly better than you. But you are able to sort of understand what they're saying and connect up all the dots to make the company work. In this process, it's also important to start striking off assumptions especially when you're starting with the hard ones and then going it's also about oh this assumption so being ambiguity is also having clarity on what assumptions i'm going with and validating those or striking them off as quickly as possible because if you keep that assumption i remember one of my mentors saying assumption is the mother of all <laughs> especially when you're trying to find a solution to this Correct. problem Correct. you have to make sure that there is uh, you know you you are conscious where you are guessing Correct. and where you know what you're doing Correct. yeah absolutely right. you know there's that chart no you know that you know the you know that you don't know yeah. <laughs> you yeah. don't know that you don't know and yeah. you don't know that you know right yeah. you know i think it's it, you have to be more about yeah. knowing and accepting what you don't know yeah. and putting the assumptions forward especially when you're and that helps us uh making uh, things better obviously yes I, i think for me that stint in the corporate world really helped because that's where i learned um i enjoy the ambiguity space but important part is to list down your assumptions to validate those put that under test quickly also to bring in the marriage of technology business and the customer like you know you can have business i will make money this way and this is a technology but if there is no base for it what's your target audience i'm slowly starting the conversation of the origin of neeramahi itself in in that case it's a high tech space it's not into your operational ai it's more into clinical systems ai which is sort of untouched in a lot of ways it's highly regulated in the healthcare space so you're venturing into the most complex scenarios right there with complex technology unsolved space impact is huge target audience is across how did you start so first and foremost i didn't think of all of these questions first <laughs> it was very very important i just jumped off with one main thing i want to save lives mm-hmm. there are too many people dying unnecessarily i want to save and also before you go there can you give a landscape of how many people i remember when we connected you mentioned i will tell you yeah. the statistics right yeah. Yeah. so when i was at uh, the previous organization and um, and uh, working on this small exploratory project one thing that i knew i wanted to do was solve that problem right mm-hmm. The good thing is that I didn't think about all the questions that you asked me. If I had, maybe I would never have started, right? Because I just jumped, dived into it without knowing literally what I'm getting into, thankfully. <laughs> um but 
with one mind that uh, really I want to try and uh, contribute to saving lives from breast cancer. So the thing was uh, really, um, I was also thinking about like, you know, I'd just seen that we had a new solution. An because as a researcher, again, I've seen what is a good solution, what is not a good solution. And here I did see something that really had to be taken forward, right? You know, where we had developed this uh, potentially new imaging solution with AI coming together where we could non-invasively start detecting cancer. I didn't know whether early cancer was possible, honestly, because we had only looked at a few, like 70 late stage before surgery cancers. But uh, there was a non-invasive way. I also had this thought in my mind that uh, at that time, because uh, the company was splitting into two companies, the project was going to close. So I had this thought in my mind that if I don't do it, nobody else in this world will do it. So it, I felt like magnanimous, like I have to do it because uh, I also had this thought and I discussed with one of my colleagues, Shireen, I remember she was the head of HR there. Now she's head of HR at Xerox, sorry, at Niramai. And I told her that, you know, so one thought, right? Imagine myself, uh, I was imagining myself to be on the deathbed and saying, would I regret any decision in my life? And I told her, like, if I now choose to get the promotion and be the head of the research center and drop this project, I'll regret that decision. Mm. That was very clear in my mind that choosing a promotion or like increased salary versus an opportunity to save lives would make me miserable in my life. So that was sufficient enough to say, I am jumping off. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just going to jump off. <laughs> so that's what I did. I thankfully, I also discussed with two of my tech team members, uh, Himanshu and Shiva. They, uh, I asked like, I'm planning to start this, are you coming? And they were also, uh, you know, the, um, the company was splitting. And so they were anyway going to another project and they said, okay, if you are starting, we'll come, we'll come. right? Told, okay, give me three months. I'll try to find funds. Till then, you have to go with no salary. <laughs> After that, we'll figure out. You know, I'll let you. I'll I'll help you get the job also in case needed or connect you with people. So that was one thing. And then uh, Nidhi was uh, a program manager in my team. I think you know her yeah. as well. Uh, she, she of course is an excellent, um, you know, um, business-minded uh, person as well, finance savvy and all. So um, so I was explaining to her, see Nidhi, I'm going to do this and. So would you, uh, you know, give me your feedback? And so she, she gave feedback on this and um, then she went back and started sharing with me some statistics and so on. So I thought, okay. And then uh, first we said, okay, would you, uh, would you be willing to be the, you know, come in and be the marketing uh, head? And she said, yeah, I will be willing. So we started doing that. And after some discussions, you know, I saw passion emerging in her also because she had also seen uh, cancer in her family. So... As I proposed to her, like, you know, would you be my partner? She said, yes. So we, we actually, uh, you know, um, uh, became co-founders at that time. Uh, it's a different story that uh, she she decided to leave, uh, you know, within two years. Uh, that's okay. So, but, uh, you know, it was an initial uh, push that we got as four of us uh, jumped off. So, yeah. So basically after jumping off, you know, I was just thinking, oh, I know how to build products. You know, let's build the product first. And. So we started building and then went to the doctor and said, okay, here is a new thing. And we've tested in the lab. You're tested in the lab, but how can I give it to the end user? So I said, okay, why don't you, uh, you know, try this out in, uh, in the hospital? But it's not so easy. You can't just put things in a hospital and start trying. Or there are, then I realized there is 
very very detailed processes involved yeah. right yeah. so clinical study pro- protocols are all like really really strong so i started learning about it uh, we employed uh, we, we we got a cro as a mentor and actually a, uh, an agreement with them for all this of course first we had to raise funds because a uh, thermal camera was costing 25 lakhs at that time the one which we were working with and uh, even if you want to experiment we had to buy that so so the first day uh, when we jumped off jan uh, first itself we kind of uh, uh, started pitching uh, to to a couple of investors the first two pitches were successful we got a term sheet from both of them and then we were very clear we wanted to go with uh, pi ventures uh, who have aligned with our vision and uh, mission of saving lives with ai mm-hmm. ai being the main thing and that is what i knew very well and i was confident that i'll be able to sort of you know um, make this work <laughs> literally as i said right yeah. you know you figure out what is the dumbest line and yeah. what is the simplest solution and do we know how to improve it so this was uh, this was working and i said okay we can definitely make it better so that's how it started and uh, you know every day it's been a learning thing you know because uh, you know the doctors ask a very deep uh, medical questions so i used to go sit in conferences try to understand the uh medical terms understand the breast cancer phenomena the treatments available the screening methods available everything more deeply reading lot about it talking to some of the making friends with doctors who can help us talking to them saying this is the mission please help us and you know they are actually you know it's like this you know you have a mission and you're passionate about uh, making good right and and people people support you yeah. i mean the world is actually very beautiful that's what i realized you know No, I think you make me emotional. <laughs> no, no, I am with you, and I think I can relate with it as well. And I keep telling uh, our team, especially when you've got a noble purpose, an impactful yeah. purpose, and the right purpose, um, people come together. Yeah. People, yeah, and it's from different directions. People come together. Yeah, if I start naming people who have helped me, I like the thousands of them. Some of them have said, "You're doing a great job." That also is so like. Uh, it just increases the energy in your cells so yes. I'm sorry. i want to uh, you want <laughs> i think why did you ask me this question we <laughs> <laughs> are not recording this <laughs> here you go one um thing i experienced and i think i want to ask you this question geeta because you might have gone through this about 3 years back when you started right 6 years 6 years right yeah. So I used to be in the corporate world. Yeah. Um and there's oh, a certain yeah. high, right? You get oh, a certain God. high um and especially the kind of work we used to do. It's a lovely high because you're in cutting edge space. You're thinking global, you're figuring out new things, you're meeting new new uh, people in industries. It's beautiful. And then I decided okay, I'm going to do this, which is a complete different just like you, right? It's a complete different shift in thinking everything the first 3 months you're going through first that whole thing of oh my god i've quit this you also are under the pressure of oh my god i need to make this yeah. kind of vc funds to sustain because it's not just me now i have like five different people joining me who followed me and you yourself are dealing with ambiguity to figure out and you're realizing through the journey it's not like you're not confident about it but through the journey you're realizing oh it is not that simple yes it's pretty complex yeah we figure this out but i need i'm running uh, it's a race against time because time becomes a currency suddenly for us 
how did that yeah 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 the first three months i think as you said you know the most most transforming <laughs> ones <laughs> i call you know multiple ways you know um of course you know uh, at my previous organization like like you know it's a huge beautiful corporate i used to be the lab director like a good paycheck and all right and i used to have a driver car everything you know and moving around credibility like credibility. you just had to walk in and people knew geeta before geeta walked in right yeah, no i'm people knew geeta from the brand i carried exactly. that was a huge revelation yes. right you know i was like excellent uh so you know geeta from xxx right yes. xerox hp and say oh yeah come like you know we are inviting you to talk and all i had to do was talk about what the company was doing so when i go to a hospital and say i'm you know my nobody knew about me yes. my and then so that is when uh, you know absolutely like you said we have to transform ourselves to the sort of being recognized as an individual and it's also you know once that happens it's also fun i mean like you know now people many some people at least are able to recognize the name yeah and kind of equated to niramai the company we built and so on which is almost you know people say i'm synonymous to niramai now yeah. <laughs> you know and and so on so that it takes time to build the brand for yourself and the company but uh, initially it's a hard shock because you know some people who were like kind of very friendly suddenly become oh 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 okay <laughs> you quit your job or were you like go <laughs> yes. you know all of that and uh, it's okay i mean you, you just realize you know world is like this right and and um, so that's one aspect and of course financially like start thinking where to spend the money <laughs> uh you know i i rarely traveled in autos and things like that you know those <laughs> kinds of things um and um, and yeah so and also i had this sort of guilt like a small team uh, who um like uh, I, i was not paying for the first 3 months right uh, till we got the money and then uh, only but i only say so but i'm going to book ola for you you know i don't want you to spend money for the company but i so this kind of a thing right that guilt guilt of uh, you know uh, they are sacrificing for your vision mission that that thing was also there and uh, anyway so i think thankfully uh, within a month we got a term sheet for 1 million dollars oh, so lovely. yeah it was uh you know i'm very thankful to pi ventures for uh, you know placing the trust in us uh it was very hard i mean like uh, every two days they used to come up with like question we didn't know the answer for uh market size mm-hmm. what's market size okay let's go and do it right you know those kinds of starting from there to you know who is going to pay and all of those regular questions that startup gets asked so trying to go uh, and figure out that uh, so that was interesting go to market you know so no we thought you know we'll just put it up in a hospital but why would hospital you know allow you to put it up and what does it take to go there and all of that anyway so we we and, and in fact he did even a code review like are you sure it looks too good to be true and this is something we have heard from so many investors you know uh, i i would love to talk about what we are doing yes. as a digression yes. if you will right so the thing is uh, today um uh breast cancer is the largest cancer killer in women it's right? the largest largest cancer killer in 159 countries this is the top cancer incidence seen in women and in people in the rest of the countries the second because the first one is cervix so it's a huge huge problem to the whole world about uh, 680000 women die every year because of this disease the mortality rates vary across you know based on the country like there are countries uh, like india china 
Pakistan and others, where uh, you have more than 50% survival rate, sorry, mortality rate. Mortality. That is, every alternate lady detected with breast cancer is dying. It's unfortunate that only 4% of them actually go for regular screening. 96% of them detect their cancer by hand, which is when it actually becomes a big lump and uh, you know they know that something's going wrong, they go to a hospital, it's stage three or stage four, which has 50% chance of survival. Mm -hmm. So this is crazy. This is one of the most easily curable of the, all the diseases and we are losing so many women. So this is the problem. And if you look at what is the available solution today, one is of course hand examination, but globally also mammography being the default standard for screening is not affordable and accessible to many of these countries. Mm. And more and more I read about it, I figured out that the actually, uh, you know, women hesitate to take a mammogram as well. Because it's crazy. Yes. I've been through one. First of all, the whole experience itself is scary. It's like I decided I'm never doing this again. Yeah, there's so many women feel that way where, uh, you know, you need to first disturb in front of others. Hopefully it's a female technician and uh, she comes in, pulls your breast, puts between two plates and 10 kgs of weight is applied. And I have seen many people come out crying. Yeah. To top it, it is using radiation. And that's something I'm unable to come to terms with. How can you use radiation to find cancer because every test is increasing the risk to cancer yeah. maybe a little bit 0.001 i'll give uh, give it to you right so this is what is happening so i didn't i didn't even think that that's the right uh, way to do it right mm -hmm. so that was one thing and then we figured out another global issue later right you now after we had the solution was that uh, there's this uh, uh, concept or cohort called dense breast, right? Mm. Uh, these are women who have a lot of fibroglandular tissue in the breast. When you take an x-ray, that is mammogram, the whole breast appears white. Because, yeah, so because like a hand, right? When you take an x-ray of your hand, the skeleton appears white because that is hard. Yes. Similarly, a dense breast, the whole breast appears white. If that is the case, finding a white spot, uh, sometimes microcalcification uh, are like flashing, but many of the uh, dense lesions get uh, missed out. So mammography, doing a mammography regularly also, even after that, people can miss cancer. Yeah. This is another major thing, but it is good. See, that's the most used and it has been proven to actually save lives uh, at least 13% higher survival because of it. Having said that, there mm. is uh, there are these gaps which is uh, not making many, many people go for it. In the whole world, only 10% of the ladies who need to be screened are being screened by these imaging devices, mammography and ultrasound. 90% of them are just detecting it by hand. And then, of course, they go for these tests. This is crazy, right? And that's why it's not, it's usually late-stage detection. So as opposed to this, what Niramai has developed is that uh, we just measure temperature variations on the chest using a thermal sensor. No radiation, just measuring temperature. Our AI, our AI algorithms analyze this to generate a report saying whether there's an abnormality, what is the probability that it is actually cancer, and marking the likely area so that a follow-up diagnostic workup can be done at that area. And we're doing it at a much, much higher accuracy than the current methods, including mammography. We have many tests where we, we see 30% higher sensitivity, right, uh, which is like proven scientifically clin clinical tests and so on. So this, to me is very very important so there is a simple radiation free method 
to top it it's completely privacy aware we made it privacy aware in fact i was trying to do a uh camp for somebody i was only taking the image and imagine sort of meeting your friend who is uh, uh sitting naked in front of you i was not like very comfortable so i said let's put a screen in between so put the device here put a screen in between i was sitting this side mm. and it became a privacy aware solution mm. where nobody sees or touches a person i call it i call it changing room experience the lady goes in she sits in front of the device before that she closes the door removes her clothes nobody is inside she is alone in front of the device like this for 10 minutes and she comes out her report will be ready so this is a huge huge crowd puller <laughs> from a women standpoint then accuracy is something i talked about How, what kind of accuracy at all is it like so we have published papers where uh, we have seen 100% sensitivity not mm-hmm. missing any cancer that has been found by mammography and ultrasound mm-hmm. uh, or ultrasound and um, and with about 8% false positive rate so this is more than 95% accuracy in mm. in that term so so basically more accurate than standard methods non contact non invasive no pain no touch and no radiation as well and it is very affordable the device itself is now 120th the cost of a mammography machine so a lot more hospitals and diagnostic centers can actually provide this and last but not the least it's a very portable device it's a size for water bottle you can either do the test inside a hospital or take it out and do the test outside in rural areas we have started private screening at home anyone can come to niramai.com register for screening and uh, you know um, our team will come in and do the test at their homes right you know it's the first ever time breast cancer screening is being done at home so essentially you have to make the test more accessible women will feel comfortable we have to make it like you know a normal test like what somebody would say yeah like you know you don't feel um oh i'm taking a cancer test no it's a normal test that like you do a blood test you know just do this here not nobody is picking picking you as well so we have to make it more common and more comfortable for women to avail it uh, you know doing it in groups also is something that uh, you know people feel comfortable so that's what we have uh, enabled and um, and incidentally this is very unique in the whole world made in india with 29 granted patents so that is 29 uh, 29 granted patents or 20 more pending grants so it's also that national list i mentioned to you yeah so made in india for the world and when we get these appreciations around the world you know winning so many awards internationally you know i, I feel very proud as an indian yeah so so that's what when somebody hears the story say hey come on Yeah, like bluffing it doesn't work even the doctor say i want to try so any doctor has tried it on like five of 10 of his patients that i wanted right you know it's just because it's never been done before like people have this skepticism we have to deal with it every day so but yeah so we're talking about the other day you were telling me right six women die every second no 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 no, no. no. i've got completely messed up <laughs> <laughs> Every every six minutes, one person dies. Every six minutes, every it's one, one person minute. in India. This mm-hmm. is in India. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, the global uh, number would be something like that. Yes, but uh, in India, it's every six minutes, one person dies, and every three minutes, one person is getting cancer. So this then becomes a very easily um, detectable methodology for a country as ours, which is. so large yes and how many women actually test ourselves it's I, i'll tell you for example for me i started becoming a little more aware when a colleague's wife 
uh, of mine was detected and uh, during the shutdown december shutdown is when they detected by fluke it was just total fluke they figured and she had a relapse i actually had a few other friends who uh, yeah. succumbed to it as well right so i think we go to the hospital only when it is extreme so what you're also are loving for is one is the proximity the accuracy the ease of use and you've really i think the field visits really helped in nailing this no touch and um, you yeah. know the privacy part of it as well how does regulation work in all of this here yeah. uh, especially in india it is it's not as regulated as the rest of the world but it's still like regulated isn't yeah, it yeah it is regulated there are two things right so again you always have to come from the the main intent the main intent is to save lives you know to enable screening for everyone while doing so obviously you don't want to harm anybody right and so so first you make sure that the accuracy is to a level that you yourself will to take it and you will even recommend it to your mother right you know i mean it can't be better than that right so so we had to make sure that the accuracy is good that was so one did thing. you go after that first kita yes we had to first of all figure out what is accuracy so mm-hmm. we had to do formal clinical studies to see how well are we doing with respect to mammography and so on it was not too bad of course initially when we in our lab tests only we were only getting 70% and i wouldn't go and sit in front of a device which is having 70% so but uh, when we improvised it and did the first one it was 85% which was okay decent now as i said it's more than 95% accuracy because even mammography is missing 30% of cancer so you know much much better than that and so on and so forth right so that is one aspect of comfort of doing the right thing second is obviously you don't want police or anybody coming behind you so you have to do the right thing so so coming from that perspective when you say this is part of the the activity of taking things to market right then it becomes otherwise you know it can seem very much of a burden yeah. like oh regulatory and all that but you have to look at it like this is another one that i have to do like check like a step checklist on a step towards moving uh, to to global world right so the india regulations uh, are now becoming more stringent but uh, yeah so we do have a regulatory clearance and warrant re- uh, registration and licensing for that and more importantly i'm proud to mention that we are probably the only company mm-hmm. uh, which has both uh, regulatory clearance from the us and europe mm-hmm. now africa and some asian countries as well so uh, so we've gone through the grant it is uh, pretty hard huge huge documentation it's not about documenting what you know because you realize while documenting that you don't know yeah. again yeah. you need to figure out you know exactly what are the different risks yeah. that people may face what are the things that may go wrong you know yeah. you think so deeply yeah. so it you you feed this back into your tech and try to sort of you know make the product better and also think about uh, the safety nets you need to create right around for because at the end of the day you don't want to put the lady or the end user at risk right so that that mentality when you have right you know the quality and regulatory process also becomes a uh, as a good enabler for you to reach that thing, yeah. right so that way i think it becomes a framework also where you can start thinking in a scalable fashion and so on but yeah it has been a huge learning especially us fda uh, thinking has started almost you know two and a half years ago and we got the clearance in march 2022 recently so um because there are several processes and this is like i mentioned the first of its kind uh, if there exists another device similarly a similar one 
then you could always prove a substantial equivalence to that device and you can take it to market when you're building a completely new device it's much 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 harder we've even um, tweaked the product in a way that it becomes more regulatory uh, compliant and also safer to the person right mm -hmm. so those kinds of what are the kind of claims you will make so to be very careful about the words you use in the document and when you speak so many things we learn on the go and uh, so that was very very hard the clinical studies also were not very easy it took uh, two years for us to publish a 256 member study Mm -hmm. such a small sample is it onboarding the doctors that was tough or where was no the... it's just the sheer process of uh, doing the evaluation itself the first is the documentation you have to go through a scientific review for those of them who want to do this there's a scientific review board to show that you know doing this experiment is also useful and has again some scientific value um, because it's clinical research next is uh, ethics committee where you have 15 people from different walks of life and disciplines experts who will come and see like you know while doing this are you harming anybody like you know is it going to help somebody and are you i mean how much harm are you creating on the patient if at all and so on and uh, then of course uh, like loads of documentation and uh, and also forms you know what kind of data you'll create why do you need to collect what kind of data whatever all of those things and uh, ensuring that the patient uh, is given full information before she gives a written consent. Mm -hmm. So for every person who is, we use the word recruited, uh, you know, sub, uh, participant recruited for this, we had to do our test and then followed by mammography, ultrasound and biopsy. Sometimes, you know, people do mammography when they know it, they're cancer, they don't so ever come back. have to do this and then followed by all the tests. Ah. So it's like, you know, um, a doctor looks at mammography, ultrasound and biopsy report and says yes or no. Mm. And this poor thing, thermolytics has to say yes or no without anybody's support, just a machine. Mm. So I always say like it's like a wrestling where three sumos coming in with a small child because it's a very, very one year old child. True. Right. And so that is the kind of, you know, um, scientific protocol we put together. We can do several ways. When, so what I thought was if you as a scientist again, yeah. if I were on the other side, when would I believe it? Now, that's the question you have yeah. to ask and then say, if I had done this way and I uh, make sure that Thermonetics performs as well as these three put together and the radiologist, there is a chance that people will believe that this is useful. That's of why course, this is the toughest part. Toughest part of it, right? You know, one is, uh, one is also trying to make sure that the lady goes through all the four tests and many times a person is detected with cancer, they, they don't come back, they just go away, right? Yeah. Obviously, it's one of the hardest... Uh, uh, news that they've ever heard in their life right so uh, so then yeah so we need to sort of make sure that they come in and do the full thing and so on and so forth so that was uh, another big part and uh, yeah every country has its own regulation and then finding distributors who can talk to the doctors the doctors will have tons of questions and you can't have every person uh, you know trained to answer all the questions they will have very very deep questions they'll say okay does it catch fibrodinoma People will build, like, think about sales people who are going and talking. So, you know, first few sales had to be done just by us. Mm. Like, you know, um, literally, you know, me talking to every uh, hospital and then make them the key opinion leaders and so on. So there's a different way of uh, doing business development and sales in it, in this one. And again, it's not really only about money. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's I why, think, you know, you have to, yeah. you know, balance, balance between. You can't just do everything free also because you, you have, have the team the to, yeah, we have to cover the cost. We have a team to feed and so on. Yeah. It's a nice, uh, nice experience. I, I, I have a couple of 
more deeper questions here. I think the first one I want to ponder through is you started off with the concept that was used in imaging or image processing. Did you buy those patents or did you start from there and then to end with 29 patents? Patent process itself is like, yeah, um, I've gone through them and it's a delight to have patents. It's a pleasure to have patents. But that process is not simple and easy. It's to your point earlier, it's about having an idea, writing the white paper, proof of concept, building the wireframes or a prototype. Uh, what is your customer base? What's your cost, your revenue? Is there a business model? Era? It's a pretty complex thing. To go through that while you're going through this journey, it's not easy. Yeah, it is not. But uh, again, uh, thanks to my HP and Xerox career, yeah. um, as a researcher in a multinational company, you're made to uh, weave in, you're made to think uh, innovatively and weave in all of these sort of deliverables, tangible deliverables, right? Uh, so. So when, uh, you know, when we are ideating or a team member comes in and says, this is an idea, what do I do, Gita? You know, you know, thanks to, again, HP, I used to be a patent coordinator. I don't know whether you know, like yeah, we had yeah. a full lab, uh, you know, as a lab That's architect. That's why you sent me people. back. I don't know if you remember. I don't know. You said, the idea is all you have. What's the business? Who's the customer? And we were like, okay, we need to go back again. <laughs> and also, what exactly is the innovation, right? Yes. You know, that has to be very, yes. very clear. So I have done that for hundreds of such uh, ideas uh, before for like as a mentor and also of course we uh, myself have filed more than 40 50 I've lost track patterns right uh, yeah I think so I don't know but of course granted because many things get yes. dropped in between yes. that's a company's thing so anyway so uh, so with that in mind so even within Niramai from the beginning we uh, we have made uh, patenting as a part of the development process literally there's nothing different nice. so you know it's so much interwoven right anybody comes in and says and said okay so this is good you need to file a patent on this that's part of the tasks that they have to do right? that's also because you are in the high tech space high tech well, space right? and it's, it's definitely value for yes. the company yes. uh, and that's when it's considered as a deep tech and uh, so on and filing we file in India and US and then uh, we look at uh, you know, I, I thought about what are the geographies where this will be helpful. So identify a few of them, uh, core ones, and then file. Because you, filing takes money. Yeah. <laughs> you need money for that, right? And then uh, slowly, you know, I, uh, you know, like mentored one of the team members, Dr. Shiva now takes care of it, um, uh, you know, to, to do the initial sort of writing of the claims. And of course, we work with a wonderful um, uh, attorney team, uh, Meta Yage, uh, thanks, Arjun, and uh, I know who who came in first to help us in doing this transfer of IP from the previous organization that you asked. Uh, but after that, uh, you know, we've explained to them what it works. Initially, there was a little bit of a raggedness, but now, uh, you know, they understand our uh, product as much as so easily drafting, uh, you know, claims and so on and so forth. And we have also become very proficient in drafting the claims. Mm -hmm. We give them the draft claims only and they will edit that and then build the whole story around it. So patenting has become like a normal uh, activity as a yeah. part of this. And I also try to ensure that we don't release, uh, we do it so quickly that uh, we don't release a product feature before patenting mm -hmm. because that's one of the needs. So I know all the do's and don'ts of patents thanks to my previous career. So we kind of incorporate all of it 
into that and it and helps when especially to your analogy of you're this child product and you have these three big blobs of doctors mammography and other results that you are actually competing with the patents really help in that process absolutely another reason why patents should be were are very important for niramai is thermography has been around for quite some time you know mm-hmm. like you know in, th- in 1984 uh, one of the thermography devices got approved for an adjunct as an adjunct modality for breast cancer so people there are few doctors who tra- you know who are using thermal imaging however they have made many mistakes you know there are some people who have claimed uh, uh, more because thermography is about taking these temp- temperature maps and using visual analysis you know guessing with i you know many cases and uh the science uh, aspect of it is not that profound right now though it works well mm. and uh, you know there are there are successes but there is very there's no systematic study mm. where it is proven that thermography will do better than mammography so far right and as soon as i start talking about thermal imaging and ai they immediately people bracket me on that oh that thermography which did not work mm. so it is important for us to show that it is not that old traditional thermography mm. this is thermalytics which is renewed and which has become much much more accurate because of ai so what's new see this 29 patents each of those patents are new new things we have brought brought in which did not exist before and hence this is different so it also helps us to articulate the difference between thermalytics and thermography yeah. and make people believe that it is not the old stuff which did not work mm-hmm. you know so that's the that's the other angle that is bringing and of course it adds value to the company kind of overall valuation as well so i one question here was um you know I, as part of my last in as a seller in microsoft um i've sold a lot of these video analytics capabilities so a lot of your operational ai is pretty prevalent out there whether it is um in the airports or your retail stores the heat map and all that stuff but you're doing a little more niche analytics which is the clinical systems analytics which is a much more complex it probably takes some bit of this operational ai but it's not just this it's a lot more complex than that because you need to understand the science or the medical part of you know the variables that you're looking at then identify okay here's the decision probability and then the visualization as well can you help sort of understand or tear out this complexity that you had to deal with there uh, right Gita? right sure so um any application of thermal imaging let me start with thermal imaging right as you said you know it has been used for uh, you know covid fever test that's a recent uh, application or even um, things like uh, you know building maintenance surveillance yeah. for defense and yeah. so on i've seen it like for example in tihar jail they have got this um, you know heat map cameras where you can see detect if someone's yeah Not because what happens is the body temperature is much higher than the surrounding temperature so you can easily make out a you know a, a red thing moving a human human detection is a very common use case but there you just need to find a higher temperature item and that's moving or not moving whatever and then call out and then somebody will come and see and uh, you know figure out whether it's uh, you know person or not 
Now, what we are looking at, as you said, as you mentioned also, is the medical applica application of thermal imaging. Thermal imaging. In fact, uh, you know, recently we actually conducted the first ever workshop on thermal imaging for medical applications. Mm. We held it in Singapore. We are the organizers. Nirama is the sponsor and organizers. We partnered with American Academy of Thermology to get the the, the expert from there as well as medical application, medical imaging expert, mm. Dr. Alex as well. So we conducted that. That means so far it has never been seriously looked at as a medical image. Like X-ray is considered as a medical image or uh, things like that, right? So, so that was one big thing. So, so we have to work on it. I'm not, I'm not saying that we've completed that journey, but it's a mindset change we are working on. But the way we are positioning this is an end-to-end -end solution where everything is sort of put in and now we compare thermalytics as a test with mammography as a test, mm. right? Mm. You can consider them as black boxes and compare because end utility being the main so that is how we are approaching it. Now, going a little bit like a double click on the technical fr front, what is the difficulty? Let's say you're doing AI for operational excellence. You know, you're, this is, uh, this is uh, irrespective of thermal, it's for all healthcare clinical decision support systems, right? Versus an operational, uh, you know, improvement uh, optimization technique. You're trying to reduce the waiting time of a patient, let's say even in healthcare, right? At a, at a particular diagnostic center. The impact of an error mm -hmm. is that Sojourner will wait five more minutes before you get your imaging. Yeah. That's all. It's okay. I mean, of course, it's your five minutes is important. But think about it here. An error, the cost of an Sojourner error. is like cuckoo <laughs> after that, right? Like if it's a wrong decision that's come out. Yeah. My life is like, oh yeah, my you God. Yeah, you've called a person who is not cancerous or cancer or a person who is... Hiring cancer as non-cancerous. That's the error we are talking about. It's the real impact. And also, you know, it's like walking on a thin rope. You can't say, okay, if in doubt, I'll call them cancer. No, because if you start calling too many people as yes, 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 then... Um, it's false positive. False positive is like the wolf-wolf thing. People will stop believing your thing, one. Or they get psyched and then they may go into psychological disorder, which actually can cause other kind of abnormalities yeah. just because you told a wrong answer. Yeah. So this having the accuracy and I probably coming back to this, you know, where AI being used in real life with that high accuracy touch wood, is something that Nirama has really, really marveled so far. Right. And that's what that's why it really took uh, data scientists and researchers like all of us, right, to actually look at where is the problem and very, very openly, not just to publish, you know, just to publish, you can always, you know, I've seen researchers doing different uh, ways of yeah. showing higher results, right? But here it's not like that. You have, you're, you're risking a life and you, you didn't start the company to risk a life or make money, right? So that, I mean, so that having really the machine work at highest accuracy point Having minimal number of false positives, hopefully zero false negatives, not missing any cancer, has been our main, you know, um, challenge and like main uh, direction where we are going. Mm. I think, uh, yeah. So that uh, that becomes again for medical application, the main thing is the impact of error. Right? That that is that is true for all clinical decision support. And still, we do have a person in the middle, like the expert. It will be a tool to the doctor and doctor makes the final decision. Mm. Uh, doctor has very little space to actually change the decision, to be frank. But it, he or she can use this as a aid. 
But we've gone one step further. We actually do this in an autonomous AI mode. When we go to rural areas and so on, mm. it is um, automatically generating a red or yellow green. And we bring people who are red or yellow uh, to do a follow-up diagnostic. It has helped so many women, actually. I think I would love to do another session on the decision-making algorithm itself because that whole process is pretty complex. You're not talking about one or two variables here, right? Gita, you're talking about, uh, if I remember correctly, around 400,000 data sets that you're taking from the heat yeah, view. And then, you know, it's different variables and how they impact. And that's how the decision of, you know, why the, in the end it comes as red, yellow, green, and in a speck of time. That's the algorithm yeah, and the processing. It's pretty complex, of, right? Yes, yes. 400,000 temperature points. We extract different types of semantic features out of it. Uh, because, see, the other thing is just you give red, yellow, green, it is self-sufficient. The doctor will say, why are you saying red, yellow? What do you mean? Like, you know, I'm not finding it. So there's this new um, area that has come up and uh, so explainable AI, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you need to explain why the AI is saying what it's saying, right? And uh, so, so for that reason, I mean, again, we were coming in from not the mentality of let me do explainable AI. That's what I used to do in my research career. <laughs> Here we're coming in. I show this uh, report to Dr. Sudhakar, say, sir, this said red. But I don't know what to do with this. I know you said, so I have to repeat all the tests. But what if I don't? So why are you saying this? You please tell me why you say red. Then I'll believe you. So then I realized, oh, doctors need explanation. And that's when we started working on how do we provide more explanation. So we are now able to provide. It's because of uh, vascular variation. It is because of milk duct issues. It is because of inflammation, uh, neoplasm, they say. So these are some of the things that we are seeing as signals. And that's why we are saying. I think one thing I've also felt through this process and as sort of looking at some of your interviews to understand the business model. So you have a B2C, you have a B2B. All of this is really possible when you've got the right partnership and a big part of your partnership is the medical community. I have doctors at home. There are two sides that they sort of drift around. One is very pro and those guys who are pro are like, you know, they are building robotics to actually help in neurosurgery and all that stuff. The other is like completely dismissive about the ability of AI. I'm thinking in our, in your case, when you're going to the field, you've seen both types. That would have been a huge, because without them coming on board, there's only so much you can do, whether it's B2B absolutely, or B2C, absolutely. right? So that would have been a, another of those large assumptions that you had to sort of maneuver yeah. through yeah. it's almost like an endurance run there yeah also because in the first few weeks you only meet those uh, forward thinking uh, doctors because they are the ones who are approaching yeah. you and listening to you you assume everybody is like yeah. this so so good they're like you know of course they're willing to cooperate their partnership is very very important all of that but yeah when you start scaling you realize this huge skepticism uh, on multiple things. One is, uh, I'm not a medical doctor, though I have a PhD and all of that. Uh, but uh, so, so how can a like a you know non-medical person come in and tell me how to detect cancer, mm -hmm. right? So that is one uh, thought process. And uh, second is, I've never learned about read about this uh, thermal imaging in my whole you know whatever number of years of career or you know, so many years of education. And uh, so, so why 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 will it work? You know, mm -hmm. it will not work, right? Um, 
third uh, it's not uh, in the policy uh, what if uh, you know somebody sues me because mm-hmm. i'm doing something that the guideline doesn't say and several other things mammography is standard and i have to do that only and and so on and so forth right so most people start with this right of course there are definitely the other side where they really realize the um, the non radiation based screening is absolutely important for breast cancer or any cancer and so they want to partner with us to do it so initially we go with people who are more open to partnerships because we are in a evaluation mode mm. right because mm. we also want to test out whether it's working so once that is done uh that is all that is where i also realized the importance of clinical research importance of publishing that in top journals again the researcher piece came in uh, help uh, and then publication becomes uh, very very important it becomes important because uh, now your data and the results are being reviewed by top experts around the world and i also made it a point that we will publish only in international journals which are like you know top tier so that you have to increase the believability yeah. <laughs> you know the trust yeah. in the system yeah. so whatever it takes for that right so that way so so more recently right in the first few we were just working with people who were open later we we just put in front of all of these skeptics the list of uh, publications now our publication list is like 26 28 or something right you know these are international venues and which are really really top venues like asco american society of clinical oncology san antonio breast cancer conference and uh, you know and so on right you know like uh, bmj open all of these are really really top pubmed uh, indexed uh, journals so that's where we kind of publish and uh, i typically elsevier from a tech standpoint also and um, and now doctors start listening i can you give me the full paper i will read and there are really actually they also obviously are there to serve the community you know they are also meaning good they just want to be sure that they are not recommending a non working thing there so are. so yeah you just, so what initially i used to get little oh my god it's hard but then i started putting myself in their shoe mm. right saying obviously they're taking a risk they're recommending and they want to be sure so if you come from that viewpoint and you give them all the data points that you have and then be very transparent about transparent about where it will not work for example if a person has continuous nipple discharge which give a barrett zero means like you know continuously last one week you are doing why don't you go because sometimes thermal dissipation happens so we'll be very clear about the gaps which works and which, uh, you know where are the gaps if at all and uh, then uh, they are open there of course there are so many doctors who have taken the trouble of reading our papers fully right coming back and asking very very deep questions because not everything will be written up on many of the clinical sessions literally i have to be there for many of the sales to complete i mean we are still in that stage that means we have to publish more mm-hmm. about the questions that they commonly ask that's what the takeaway is but uh, yeah i mean with the, uh, you know people uh, are willing to listen they are willing to work with us once they convince that this actually works and finally they'll say okay these papers are fine you try it on my patients you know i'll give you one week one one week you do me free things and so evaluation so we've done that also so now we have we are adopted uh, by very reputed hospitals the first uh, of course is the apollo diagnostic uh, clinics mm. bms hospital was our first reference customer then uh, uh, we have hcg was using it which is a cancer specialist um uh, medanta uh, max hospital also we work with them 
many many of these uh, health spring in mumbai so we are now in 29 cities yes it is a b to b to c because mm. um, you know people um, of course cancer care is a clinical decision so we uh, you know we work with them and they provide the service and uh, but we also have a non clinical segment mm. the non clinical segment is needed because uh, we have to spread more and more awareness mm. we there is a lot of hesitation in women coming to a cancer hospital for a regular screening because they have this social stigma like what if somebody sees that i'm going to hcg every week every month and every year or whatever right that kind of thing so we have to bring the test closer to the person increase the accessibility of it so so that's why we go for outreach programs you know it could be rural camps it could be corporate camps it could be camps in the apartments uh, and so on so these are like we are just talking to people like uh, you know you and i like corporate guys so explain to them what is the benefit here is a doctor who is sort of uh, authenticating it and most importantly all reports for corporate and and all of these hospital settings will be signed by a radiologist also mm-hmm. who can understand our report and if they think there is a specific guidance they have to give they will do our uh, system also automatically generates that uh, guidance but uh, the doctor reviews and gives it this is in the uh, in the in the full diagnostic setup so that way they get confidence that the radiologist is looking at the report so that's fine and they are able to just do this in in a conference room like this where they just uh you know like a blood up. test that they yeah 15 do. minutes of your time you go in in your own office instead of drinking coffee go to the test and come so it's very simple doing it together is very easy because everybody is doing it i am also doing it yeah. so it's like normal yeah. so now you have to make it look more normal to do the best things as we to normalize you know yeah feel it like common thing so better do it it's not like you're unique and you're you have cancer that's why you're going no everyone does it you please do it so that's how we bring in so we have both the b2 b2 c which is this even here uh, it is b2 b2 c we work with corporate to take it to their end users but the b2 c is the home screening we we had to launch during covid where you know uh, it was very very tough you know in april 2020 we had two people the whole month who screened mm. in all our cities it was like the major because all hospitals said don't come to the hospital for non covid reasons and they stopped coming we could not conduct outreach programs because uh, you know because of social distancing norms we could not get more than 3 4 people in a camp together initially then later we explained uh, that this is a non touch we had a separate protocol for covid also because nobody touches or sees the person there is more than 6 feet between the technician and her so we could, we could slowly start the camps but we launched this home screening because just because covid is there cancer is not going to stop we really had so many women in the first 3 months of launch we found three cancers in at home with just a small team of people doing the screening and uh, they were able to get to the you know as a special case go for an mri and uh, understand their difficulties and they were able to get treated also so it is was useful important so that is a segment which is b2c but even there we are uh, going with partners uh, who are home care providers so mostly it is b2b to, to c yeah good and geeta in this process what i'm also seeing is how you started gradually first with the value proposition then identifying the target sector and that's where you were mentally cleared this is for all women period it's not like the rich women it's not like only yeah. indian women or it's not like only tier one city women it's all women and i think that then gives you clarity on okay if that is the case 
then who do I partner with? What distributions? Absolutely. What channels do I use? It also gives you perspective on the revenue and the cost aspect and where do you have to maintain Absolutely. Balance, and right? also there is a differentiated pricing, right? You know, yeah. for example, if you want to do this all like you know, rural women, you know, obviously it's a sponsored program mostly. They don't pay. And so you have to increase the sort of impact of the sponsorship in terms of the number of women uh, screened. Whereas in a hospital setting, you... You're providing this test almost many times instead of mammography. So you have to sort of have a more detailed report, diagnostics and so on. So we have a differentiated reporting and differentiated pricing. Having said that, you know, a person, if she's called as positive in, in this report, she will be positive in the other. So there's no mm -hmm. differentiation in terms of the accuracy of the result. But amount of information that is given to the patient is different. In a village, uh, in a rural setting where it's a triage, it's less than 100 rupees per person. We just uh, give a red, yellow, green. Whereas here it could be a three-page report with images, marking and all. The reason is that uh, anyway the triaged patient will come to a hospital for a more detailed workup. So that's uh, that's how we do the differentiation in the pricing. Even between countries, now we are international. We mm -hmm. are operational in Kenya. Now we launched in Dubai as well. Uh, we have a few, few three doctors using in US. Um, starting to get uh, uh, you know uh, partners in Europe also we've done uh, more than 500 screenings in Europe so far evaluation mode so far uh, and so with all this uh, there is differentiated pricing just like there's a change in the um, you know what do you call cost of living right in the same way this also is reflected so it's really about uh, you know serving the needy with the, the revenue that comes from people who can pay which is the norm I think yeah. many businesses uh, social entrepreneurship, uh, you know, is, is all about that, right? So that is something we are doing. And uh, and again, I want to relate to, it's nice we're talking about corporate, relate to HP and Xerox uh, mindset about being a global citizen, literally, mm -hmm. right? You know, we've traveled so much, you know, my daughter keeps counting how many times I went to US. I know, I think it's cost like 30, 40 times right now. And um, and then some twenty odd countries. You know, you, you travel a lot during uh, being being in a multinational publishing and you know um, talking to customers around the world. Uh, so with that, you you're not scared of going out of India. Yeah. So that's something I didn't realize, but I was it like very natural for me to say yes. Of course, people in US will use. You know, but there are several startups obviously have an India focused uh, uh, look at it, but. Uh, you know, it, it's very natural for me that it has to be global. Uh, global. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, so uh, interesting. No, I, I think that's a beautiful, um, I, I always go back to see. So for me as a creator now, outside of the corporate world, I can see how, you know, what were certain mindsets that were so fixed there and how it's changed, as well as how that is really helping me yeah. now. Uh, to your point of the confidence that comes it's yes, not just exactly. like that it's that years so you've of done it right you've that, done it yeah. and you've learned it hard way so yeah, yeah. i think yeah. we'll figure out <laughs> so what's the best call for action at this point because most of my audience are um primarily the mid-career and also in the leadership roles in most companies and organizations and it's not limited to it what's the best call for action for someone who's listening what would Niram, I want from them. Sure. I would like to uh, do two sets of call for action. One, uh, this is October month. It's a breast cancer awareness month around the world. I want to tell everyone, like, you know, please take care of your breast health. All women 
and all males please tell your family members to take care of their health because women generally try to deprioritize their health versus a uh, family the members caregivers. health right you know the caregiver aspect of it and this here is a disease which can kill so many women and all you need to do is regular screening and people can live 30 40 years after a surgery so please take care of your breast health you know it's not just like a sexual symbol or whatever it's actually an organ which requires to be taken care of otherwise it's going to take off your life it's very very important and for that you need to do two things one regular screening uh, annual screening with uh, any of the test of course whatever is suitable preferably niramai because it's radiation free it's able to detect any abnormality early second every month doing a self breast examination right you know there's a you can google you'll find niramai also has released several videos on how to do self breast examination just using hand every month fix a date and do the self breast examination because by chance you know if there are some symptoms that you see that is uh, feeling a lump or some kind of a discharge or any change in the skin skin texture these are like common three main things that you need to look for and then if any of these just go to the gynecologist or any physician immediately right so these two things monthly check and annual test would be very very recommended for every person about 20 years or 25 years oh, this is 25 20 25 i mean you know unless yeah. you have family cancer history yeah. it has to be earlier so this is something that you know i would really want to call upon and every lady and every person tell five more people yeah you know about this you know that's one main thing the second call for action i guess is more from a entrepreneurship perspective and uh, particularly women entrepreneurs are very very few you know i'm glad to see you jump as well um uh bumps see it's it is uh, exciting and yet uh, it's a little scary as well it's, right? it's it's not many people have trodden that yeah. path right of course i never thought about any of this i just wanted to solve yeah. the problem i jumped off same thing all of us have done it right you know you just have to forget the gender and jump off but one thing you know have the confidence you know I, you know if you want to solve the problem you have an intent to put your life behind it i mean it's it's hard you you know uh, but uh, don't lose the confidence because we always see women have lower confidence in achieving something compared to their male and and uh, you know even in our uh, corporate careers we have always done double to get the same kind of an attention uh, of of a male colleague and, and then later you set the trend and people start trusting your words so in the same way right you know um, don't lose the confidence you know jump off if you are passionate about solving it uh things around you will will help you succeed that's what i want to say don't lose the confidence it's it's one of the most wonderful journey most fulfilling journey and uh, definitely you need uh, support from the family i mean it be wrong if i sit here for one and a half hours and not thank my family particularly my husband like you know he's like super supportive um i don't let him come anywhere near you know my <laughs> <laughs> i can relate to that <laughs> but uh you know it's wonderful uh you know moral uh, yeah. support and uh, you know emotional support and also um, physical activity support at home also you know without which i surely wouldn't have been able to do and my children also now given up you know any vacation would be only where mummy is having her <laughs> customer discussion if of it all things like that so family support is very important um but uh, you know don't uh, you know 
usually you know family is supportive if your intent is clear yeah. if you are transparent about what you are doing and so on so for women entrepreneurs i think this uh, you know is is very very important jump off it's extremely fulfilling you feel okay you're doing something useful yeah. worthwhile yeah. in in life yeah. Yeah. you know and so i think it's it's a good challenging interesting journey all of us need to take it i think in your call for action is for the first one i would urge anybody who's in the hr in the csr space to go reach out start scheduling these maybe even sponsor doing these tests because a lot of companies adopt villages Absolutely. and schools or probably because it's 25 plus um a set specific zone and can we have more sponsorships and on yeah. that i think those are things because the bigger mission is to really get yes. to all the women that's where we're going and women should not hesitate taking a test yeah. okay there are two two things that can happen one you are either detected with some early abnormality it's good you detected it early yeah you start working. otherwise after 3 years right or 4 years or 8 years you would actually found a lump and at that time it would be difficult so with this fixing you can go back to life within 6 months or maybe even earlier normal if you don't find be happy right you know you your uh, you mind. know peace of mind just be so both are good please do yeah nothing you just need to sit in front of this device for 10 minutes that's it Gita, last part because sure. we were we were maneuvering through a researcher mindset into entrepreneurship. Um, I'm going to keep this ready for you. No, no, I think <laughs> I think the question was around partnership, and I want to thread that a little bit because it's an important one. So I'll tell you why it's important. A while back, I started something called Bubble Trap. Mm. and as going strong and then there was partner came on board we started running even more stronger and then there was a difference in the way um we were headed uh, from an opinion point of view it fell apart now one part of it is it falling apart because there's a build of trust and relationship and that's going to impact you but the other part of it is you've taken a plunge on ambiguity and suddenly when you start you lose this it's almost like the floor underneath has been ripped off and you almost hit ground zero from that confidence that we just spoke about you might be a great researcher you might be doing really running faster in entrepreneurship but it's like something's pulled off that's like a massive thing for one to go through um so i want to talk about understanding the role of partnership as you see and how does one maneuver through it yeah are there some you know guidelines uh, uh, for someone who's like for me for example are there guidelines on you know how do you go about so you cushion yourself and at the same time build this relationship and in case there comes a point where you one of them has to part ways it's still not like hitting ground zero um too many things i asked you there but then i think it's a very loaded question there right yeah i have never spoken about this uh, outside are you comfortable yeah. no it's okay uh, basically um yes you know we were uh, we were colleagues uh, nidhi and i were colleagues for a long time right um of course uh, 
we worked together at hp and i pulled her into xerox you know i really love her uh, passion and so on you pulled her into xerox she was like yes. with me working with ajay and then she said main ja rahi hu main xerox ja rahi hu <laughs> yeah literally i mean i just called because uh, we had to start a pilot for some other project and i thought you know going on the ground and she had worked with me on um you know site on mobile which was an earlier thing so i remember it will be like that so i called her and said you are doing interesting stuff or you going to come so she came in and i explained multiple things uh, projects as well so she was in the other project and so on so it's been a good uh, uh, friendship uh, you know um and uh, we both are like uh, uh, you know very passionate about what we are doing yeah so we are also both opinionated yeah. so it was fun to have like two opinions coming in together and all those things yeah i mean i think it was fine it's just i think uh, there were several things uh, you know initially uh, you know um, she was taking care of the product and later of course it was getting more techy and so there was a more tech team which was taking care of it and she was supposed to do the sales and sort of thing but then every time uh, i guess uh, she went to a doctor they were like so such a deep tech and clinical question i had to come in so so there was some thing right you know mm. like independently mm. uh, you know so and immediately i think there is a lot of this sort of um, uh i guess it's more insecurity that gets built up right and you will start doing different things mm. you know which um which the other person may not approve of some approaches you know because yeah i mean it's it's um, yeah so the differences uh, come in i not be able to share all the details sure, of sure. it uh, so it's really about um, uh, the way uh, you would like to move forward mm. you know uh, for me uh, being straight truthful integral is very very critical True. so that's uh, one aspect of it because we are taking uh, we are taking on a big big journey of uh, saving lives yeah. you know and uh, so it has to be a straight forward uh, discussion everywhere anyway so um that's anyway after 2 years i think uh, she got tired of me and decided to quit <laughs> <laughs> and um but the problem is uh, one is you know you you uh, build the thing together start up together it, almost yeah. like marriage it's yeah. like marriage yeah uh so during this uh, phase when it's not working together you know there's a lot of hitch-kitch so the, that that is emotionally affecting when a person really quits for a very simple silly reason right you know it like uh, okay uh, you suddenly feel that uh, somebody you have trusted just ditched you right mm. so that was one thing and uh, then investors also start thinking uh, negative about the person who is staying back mm. which was much harder for me to um, you know maneuver yeah uh because i had to really regain the trust from yeah. them yeah yeah because that's it's hard because i yeah. i i it's I, not really about the work you know yeah, because obviously i was in front of the hospital yeah. talking yeah. it's that's nothing actually yeah. it's more the emotional yeah. aspect of being ditched yeah and uh, the environment around you is negative yeah especially because you're running at a pace yeah and the pace gets affected like yes the team gets affected and you have to bring them all together and uh, yeah mainly taking care of the investors was the hardest part of it because you would i i mean i invest uh, in startups and i think the first thing you look at is the founder group and the the team and 
you know and after two it's years it's like i have done something to throw her out i mean boss i'm sticking on here yeah. come on i'm willing to go the long way yeah. just yeah. keep the trust in me yeah. it doesn't happen that way right yeah. you know so so everything you say you know it will be looked at as different so yeah. it took some time i think truth will prevail that's all i can say would you advise partnership for someone starting i think partnership is very important definitely important because um, you can share your load you know it's a yeah. lot of load and uh, there are certain things you cannot discuss with all the employees so. yeah so it's always good to have a founder yeah. co-founder i guess uh, we need to have some kind of boundaries set and uh, make sure you can be transparent about what's going well what's not going it's very important to have founders who are more open to comments yeah you know if if everyone is egoistic you know this is not about me yeah. it is not about ego it's not about i it's about the company so that's all so you have to really put the company before your own growth or your own stuff definitely that is the that's the kind of partner you have to find if it becomes i i that's that's where you know uh, you can't compromise a company's uh, benefit for a single person's uh, it's the that's, that's you know i didn't even realize somebody else had to come in and said i think this is not working <laughs> you know literally somebody else said because i'm more of an adjusting type person mm-hmm. so anyway it's like a marriage i'm, I'm thankful that uh, you know yeah. we have been able to get the support of the investors you could sail through the covid and i have a wonderful team now to uh, you know compensate and um, uh, you know work with us you know we recently reached 100 <laughs> you know including the technicians 100 oh, wow. members now so this month so oh, i'm very very happy with the team and the way they all support is like amazing it's like a family yeah i i think as you're setting and i, I keep talking about it when you're setting up your company you know in large organizations you have hr marketing and other teams taking care of some of these Everything. Yeah, everything is yours, right? Like, oh, how does one deal with this situation now? And so you're sort of setting culture, everything, right? It's not just your individual brand, but also your organization's brand, and that's like huge because it's not just your life. Yeah. You're also talking about the adjacent lives, like everybody working in the company. Yeah. So it's a big deal there. Gita, one last question, which is. researcher to entrepreneur today if you look back at the geeta who was a researcher who started at isc to today how have you changed oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i started my isc as a shy very very shy girl who was not speaking loudly <laughs> not speaking to any boy <laughs> can't relate <laughs> <laughs> he please ask him now <laughs> and um but isc gave me a huge courage to ask questions and so i i have seen people asking questions and so then i realized you know that's a very important way of expressing and learning more knowledge so i think isc was a huge transformation for me as a person uh from a girl to a researcher not worried about gender that was very very important and bringing the confidence after that uh, you know i have uh, you know i think uh, my marriage with my husband was super 
he's super outgoing he'll talk to anybody he goes to a hotel he'll first cha- uh, chat with the gatekeeper said why are you talking so he's such a humane person so that gave me that outward kind of you know it's okay everyone is human i can just talk type of thing i think these two combination and now plunged into entrepreneurship um you know i can now go into any country any hospital any doctor go and blurt out about niramai without knowing all i need to do is google the name and i'll go and do it so it's a huge transformation and i you know hustling is very very important you need to make friends and because at, at all of this is i always remember like you know for the benefit of the world right you know then you just remove all your hesitations ego to matlab fully squashed you know how many times i get scolded it's a chalo theek hai sorry done you know i can't do anything about it i'm doing my best i know yeah. that's it that's what matters right at the end of the day so yeah so it's a, it's a it's a new person <laughs> and um, but most importantly like i feel there's somebody who is making me do all this. so it gives me more courage yeah. and also content yeah right yeah what does attitude makeover mean to you attitude makeover yeah oh oh why <laughs> oh, you should have told me this i think through this story <laughs> okay i think attitude makeover is remove attitude <laughs> Because, I think yeah. I think it's really about a world where everybody has their own space and you know remove that judgmental aspect from uh, you know things like that and then judgment about yourself just be hundred percent in whatever you're doing just take things as it comes and yeah. do your best yeah. that's it yeah. so why think about any specific anybody. aspect of anybody as uh, else's attitude or my own kind of attitude that's what I feel. No, I mean, I just it. being free and open is what is. I love it. I love it. Gita, thank you so much. I think uh, it's been a lovely conversation. I hope like, you also had. Oh yeah, it was such a long discussion. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. And you made me cry a couple of times. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that is not <laughs> at all my intent. I'm so sorry. Thank you so much. Um, it's a holiday, and you've come here.